And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other great podcasts like Marketing Made Simple, hosted by Dr. J.J. Peterson. Marketing Made Simple brings you practical tips to make your marketing easy and more importantly, make it work. Now, if any of these topics sound interesting to you, you're going to love his show, how to write and deliver captivating speeches, how to market yourself into a new job, how design can help and potentially hurt your revenue, and how to create a social media ad strategy that works. If these topics hit home and they're things that you want to learn about, go listen to Marketing Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Today, you're going to hear an episode of my new podcast, Liquidity and Liquor. I co-host Liquidity and Liquor with Yosef Martin, a serial entrepreneur who sold his last company, BoxyCharm, for over $500 million. On Liquidity and Liquor, we have conversations about business, money, and life with some of the most interesting people in the world. You can download and subscribe to Liquidity and Liquor on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Sterling Griffin, the one and only. Um, welcome to our show. Thank you. So, Sterling Griffin was actually referred by our guest, Chris Lee. And when he told us your story, we really wanted to bring you on the show. So, I'm very glad you drove all the way to the far north, <laughs> northern city called Fort Lauderdale. And no Thank one God goes for to Uber. visit. Yeah, yeah. right. Thank God for that. We don't have enough parking anyway. I have only two spots in my place. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a lie. Yeah. Welcome to my home. Uh, and we have the equally amazing Scott DeClary. Um, with us, we were together at Inbound. Mm -hmm. We spoke at the show. Thanks to Scott. Nobody knows me over there, but they do know Scott. It's a big <laughs> it was a deal fun over time. there. <laughs> it was a fun time. It's the first, it's the first speaking engagement post-COVID. Yes. So that was fun. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. There was like, not in our crowd, I wish, but there was 45,000 people registered for the conference. So it was a big one. It was a lot nice. of fun. Yeah. We just got back from Boston like oh. two days ago. Yeah, so Why would we, anyone host a conference there? That's what I want to know. Boston. Yeah, well, it's Boston. because that's where HubSpot, I think, was founded. Oh, got it. Got I think it. Oh, it's HubSpot conference. HubSpot, yeah. Got it, got so got it, got so it. I think, I think they're, I think they're, uh, I think chair, chairman now, Brian Halligan, and original co-founder, I think he's from Boston. Oh. That's probably the only. That's the reason. only reason. That's the only reason I it's can. Not think of it's not a destination. Not like a, no, 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 it isn't a conference like no. destination. I think that's why, though. I think they. I don't know if that's a real reason. I mean, sometimes budget, maybe. Because no, no one else I wants think there's their location. Is. Maybe that's also a good. Uh, mm. A budget? Maybe. Maybe Cheap. I don't know. I have no idea. Anyway, forget about forget about that. For yeah, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how we got here. We yeah. do here. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How do you know Chris? 
So Chris actually mentors me. So he's uh, uh, okay. he's a, he's my life coach. One of my life coaches. It's funny. I have two life coaches that are in their fifties that are gay men named Chris. Oh wow! <laughs> so it just I'm just collecting them. I'm just collecting gay middle aged men to coach me Is that, that are named Chris specifically. Is that, Is that like a requirement for you? That's like, a, yeah. That's before a, you start. What's your name? That's and on my gone. job description. Yeah. Johnny, no, seeking go. life coach must be. Yeah. Were you at um, uh, the summit of greatness? No, I wasn't. I I was at it in previous years. I was in Lewis House Mastermind years yeah. ago. But I actually was in an event that Chris spoke at because he's a trainer. He's a transformational trainer all in events all around the country. And I went to that back in 2016 and totally changed my life. I Since that time, Chris and I hadn't stayed in touch, but I continued to build companies and grow and grow and grow. And eventually, about a year ago now, I reached back out and I said, hey, I'm at a point where I think working with you privately makes sense to go to the next level. And, and he agreed. So Yeah, I mean, I, you know, for, for a while, I was actually very critical over... Uh, life coaches, um, I, I mean, very sarcastic too and all that. And eventually you start seeing that there are results. You meet people out there that they, they had their life transformed because of someone's speech. Mm -hmm. And I guess mm -hmm. when, you, when you don't have that transformation, you have different, you just don't believe it's real. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you say, you know what, it works. And when, I think when uh, talking to Chris was when my opinion really, I got a little bit more uh, open-minded for it. And then when I spoke to Chris the first time and then the second time, and then we brought him over, Listen, it does something to you, right? It does something. Some people have, they're wired different than others, mm -hmm. and they have different energy and powers on other people, and they can really influence us to be better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Chris is one of them. I mean, this is, this is definitely a person that I would say, I want to talk to him more because I feel better after I speak to him. It's just some, yeah. some people would yeah. make you feel smarter, I yeah. guess, right? You, yeah. you can talk to some people intellectually, but some people somehow makes you feel better about yourself right they improve right. your self-esteem in yes. the presence yes. I think the reason why people hate on life coaches is because the bar to become there's no accreditation yes the right. bar is low mm -hmm. so you when the bar is low for something mm -hmm. people are usually scammers or not yeah. qualified or it's like one one to products. one to so many yeah so many scammers except one or two that actually make people well life. the thing about Chris is like Chris was a coach before coaching was a thing. I mean, he's been That's doing right. it for over 30 years. Yeah. So if you think about in the early 90s, coaching was not an industry. I mean, there was Tony Robbins and there was That's like right. a couple people like Chris. That's it. Zero others. Yeah. So when you have that much time in the trenches like he has, he's just way more trustworthy. I mean, his his. His um, it's the energy though expertise you, is yeah. his, is but like when you speak to him like there's an energy that you don't get with a lot of people. Of course, that's yeah. the first thing that I noticed. Yeah. I actually didn't even know much about him before you introduced me to him. Mm -hmm. But there's like a certain energy that somebody like just brings into the room and it resonates. Like that's yeah. probably why you like so you know you 2016 you connected with him and then you had you know a period of life where you're you're figuring your shit out and now you're mm -hmm. making some money mm -hmm. and then you see value in it. So that's mm -hmm. like not bad. Four, five, six years later, you still want to invest in, and I know he's not cheap. Yeah. So yeah. there's something there. Yeah. yeah well, well I, I think what I've noticed is that when people do it for a while, they, because you said, you know, there's no, there's no accreditation for it. Right? Yeah. There's no degree. But when you do it for so many years, you see so many people and you can kind of like put them in buckets and you know how to treat each person yeah. and how to approach a different for person. Sure. And, and you find that when they talk about something and they tell you, oh, well, you're that type of person. It's like, wow, oh, that's true. It's not some horoscope that, no, it's true. It's, it's exactly who I am. And they, they can break it down and they, they've seen a million views before. And they've seen million use transformed before. Mm -hmm. And they can kind of like put you on the right path. No, no, no. 
walk in that direction. That's that was that was when you can feel that this is true, this is real. That's when you, that's when they get my attention. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. so you you brought yourself. I, and I want to clarify, you brought yourself out of homelessness and I want to go into that story. Yeah. And I was just about to connect that to our talk I also about mentorship. Like, yeah. Yeah. You bring yourself out of homelessness and then you make some good money and now you make millions of dollars doing what you do and you are like a paper millionaire. Um, multimillionaire. Multimillionaire. Uh, what do you look like? What do you look to Chris to help you with? Because you've in theory, figured out the most difficult thing that anybody could figure out, coming mm-hmm. from nothing to something and then some. So what does Chris actually well, do with? I have it ingrained so deep in my consciousness at this point for reasons that I'll explain here in just a second from my personal experience that I always need coaches. I mean, just like athletes, like athletes always need coaches. No matter what stage of career they're at, they crave coaching because yeah. they know without it, yeah, they can be good, but they can't be their best. Mm-hmm. And so six and a half years ago, I was homeless. I, I had nothing. This was at the beginning of 2016, end of 2015. I was homeless for five months living in my Honda Accord in LA. So I didn't not, I didn't sleep on the street. I slept in a car. So I was a step above other yeah. versions of homelessness. And it was a Honda Accord. It's not a, and it was a Honda Accord. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's I a mean, good car. It, it lasts it's reliable. It's the first word mistake. out of people's yeah. mouth and they are, oh, it's reliable at least. Yeah. And it was, it was. And uh, the reason why I became homeless though yeah. was a few months prior to that, I was actually a pastor. I was a Christian evangelical pastor for several years. But while I was in seminary school, which do you know what seminary school is? Seminary is like graduate school, but for ministers. Okay. So it's like you go to study the Bible in an academic setting. You're talking setting. to two Jews, that's why. Well, okay, great. <laughs> great. <laughs> oh, actually, Perfect. This one. So you learn something new here. Yeah. So that's seminary. Um, and while I was there, I realized I actually didn't believe anymore. Oh. I, di- I didn't believe in Christianity anymore. And it led to this terrible, terrible, I say terrible now because it turned out to be instructive and useful later, but... But this identity crisis, what is life about? What is what does life mean? What am I supposed to do with it? And so over a period of several months, little by little, I ran out of all my money. I couldn't keep a job. I was depressed. I was in a very mm-hmm. strong depression. I was just laying in my and on my mattress on the floor and, mm-hmm. and feeling sorry for myself watching Netflix for months at a time to where in October 2015, I could no longer afford the $250 a month rent to be the fifth in a two bedroom apartment in Pasadena, California. Um, so I got kicked out and I, I went and, and slept in my car instead for a while. But the first thing that I did once I became homeless, cause I knew that I needed to change my mindset. Something was off internally here in my mind. And if it was ever going to get better, I had to change that first. So instead of spending money on rent that month, I went to go see Tony Robbins. Mm. It was the only person I knew that I thought, oh, this guy helps people. He can maybe help me. And so I go to unleash the power within event. This is a four. You ever been to one of these? Is, I heard. I've you heard about been, it before? I've never been. But yeah, so I've, seen a, them. I've never been. Okay, so it's like a. This is our, this is our skepticism. About yeah, yeah. Coaches. Like I hate personal yeah. growth. <laughs> yeah. So, well, anyway, it was useful for me. I'll share anecdotally. It's a four day workshop. You go, there's several thousand people that go on a given weekend. It's 50 hours, like 12 hours a day, four days. Very, very intense. It's like a rock concert, but 12 hours and you're learning things. Yeah. And on the third day, Tony says. Is it the one that's 6,000 or something like that to go in? Well, this one was like. Oh, no, no, that's like the really nice seats. You, so your friends go to the really nice seats. Yeah. I couldn't afford that at the time. Okay. Yeah, Dude, I was like in the cheap seats. $250 a month. Right? That's, yeah. why, it's hard. that's yeah. why it's hard to believe that it's true because you feel like it's all about the money, and it's, it's, but, but it's not. Yeah, they're allowed to turn cash, and they're allowed to yeah. be, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, he can charge a lot because he provides the value for it. Right, absolutely. He, he wouldn't still have the brand if he didn't. But anyway, day three, he says these incredible words. He says, if you take nothing else for this entire four-day weekend, but the phrase I'm about to tell you, and then you use it, you apply it to your life, you will more than get your money's worth from this weekend. And so, of course, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, what is he going to say? He says, proximity is power. And who you surround yourself with is who you become. So take a look at the closest five people to you, yes. and you will find out the reason for why you are where you are today. It was like a light Boom. bulb went off. I'm like, oh, the reason why I'm broke, I'm unhappy, I have no good friends, is because all my friends are, all the people that I do know that are closest to me, they're like that. They're unhappy, they're broke, they're stuck, they're going nowhere, they have no ambition. So no wonder mm -hmm. I'm the one that's stuck too. So it just, it went off in my brain that I became obsessed from that day on that I'm gonna get around people that are doing well in life. I'm gonna get around people that are happy, are fit, are fucking rich. Yeah. Because if I'm around them, they don't even need to particularly tell me what to do. I just know by being in their energy, it'll rub off on me. And so over the next couple of months, I started making friends with people that were running information, personal development businesses. Because really the only thing that I had going for me at that time is I was in good physical shape. I'd worked out for several years. I was fit. I'd made a body transformation. And so I was like, okay, I can train people. I can do online training. I can teach people how to get fit for a living. So I'd met someone at that event who also did that for a living. And that was inspiring to me. And then one day, a couple months in, I'm at this uh, party in the San Diego area. It's all, it's what's called the conscious community. I don't know if you've heard this term before. These are people that are they're spiritual, they're into personal development, they're running kind of info product they're businesses. Conscious. They're very conscious, uh, okay. okay? And they'll make sure that you know how <laughs> conscious they are, okay? And uh, so anyway, it's like midnight at this party and I'm, I'm telling this life coach, she was a very successful life coach making, you know, multiple six figures, it's good for that industry. And I was telling her my sob story, like, oh, it's so hard to get clients, I have no idea what I'm doing. And she's like, well, who's mentoring you? And I said, no one, I don't have enough money for a mentor. She said, ah. That is the problem that would be solved if you got a mentor. Mm. And I realized that my problem was that I didn't have enough money. I said I didn't know how to make money when I needed it, when I wanted it. And so at that point, it was like, come hell or high water, I'm going to get somebody to teach me how to grow a business. And so I, I maxed out all my credit cards. I borrowed money from my dad, which I was super embarrassed to do, to cover the first $2,500 payment to hire a coaching business mentor. And that next month, I went from making roughly a little around 1,000 a month to 4,000 that second month, that first month with him. And I'll tell you one more piece of this story that's important to why I am the way I am about mentors today. At the end of that first month, I made enough money to pay rent, so I was staying somewhere. I paid off some pressing debt that I'd been missing payments on prior to that. But I didn't have enough money to make the second payment to the mentor. My dad was no longer willing to loan me any more money. And so I remember it was on a Thursday and my coach had told me, he said, if you don't make that second payment by tomorrow, I'm going to take you out of the program. And you're going to have to do this on your own. And it hit me at that time that like, I, I can't just do this on my own again. That didn't get me anywhere good. I need to keep getting support. And so it was 2 p.m. By 4 p.m. I'd made an ad and posted it. By 9 p.m. Someone handed me $4,000 cash and drove away with my Honda Accord. I'd sold my car to pay the second mm -hmm. payment to this coach. The next day I took that $4,000, put it in the bank, sent him his $2,500, so I keep working with him. And remind you, mind you, three weeks prior, or a month prior to this, I was living in that. That was my home. Wow. So this was my last ditch like chance to make yeah. it work. Well, that next month I made $12,000 oh, wow. in my business because I was so maniacally obsessed with doing everything he said to do. I became his best student. 
So the, over the next five months, I made hundred grand and it had completely changed my life. I mean, this is money from where I come from that no one had ever made before. Like this is, this is crazy. And then once I went to a conference that Chris hosted and I started learning about not just running a business all myself, but hiring a team and leading others, being emotionally in a better place, I started making $40,000 a month for the rest of that year. Wow. So my first year in business, I made 285 grand. Then the next year, I continued hiring mentors. I transitioned about halfway through the year to being a business mentor for trainers because word had started to get out that I was a trainer that had gone from nothing to something quickly. And they're like, hey, the hell are you doing? Because trainers don't make a lot of money. I don't yes. know if you know trainers or I, I know, any of I know them. They don't make a lot of money. It's don't. No, they don't get into it for the money. They get they're, into they're it. They're not they're, making over 200K. No, they're, they're making like 20K on average yeah, a year. making nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And so they start asking me and I, I continue running the and fitness this first, business. And this first business is you just training people. That's, that's right. That's the business. That's okay, right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And then I start adding business mentorship to it as well because I start having a passion for it. Someone that like literally couldn't eat every day and had nowhere to sleep for the first part of my training business. I want to help other people get out of that struggle for themselves. So fast, fast forward 2017, I continue hiring mentors. That year I made 1.68 million. So I'd gone literally in 18 months from being homeless to being a millionaire. But I'm telling you this, not just sharing the result, but the reason why that was possible was because I hired mentors. Mm -hmm. It's because people gave me a blueprint. They said, do this, do this, do this. And then all I had to do was the easier work of just following instructions. And that created the life that I love today. I'm a multimillionaire. I'm very, very happy. I have amazing friendships. I'm in great shape. And I really do give, I'm not self-made. I'm made with the help of you know when when, when you look at when you look at success stories, I think that everyone has their their kind of like catalyst that said, okay, this was my aha moment, right? And I think that was your aha moment. There was a mentoring where you said, okay, I'm really good, and and kind of like doubling down on those ideas. And if it doesn't, I tweak it, and we go back and in, into the drawing board with the mentor, and we continue. Everyone, I think, is different. I don't know if if everyone's, but I, I guess that. In my case, when I found that something was working for me, I doubled down on yeah. that. I was just pulling everything again until I knew that no longer now I have to find something else, and and I would look with commonalities what else works. But but that was your aha moment. That was okay. I found I found my my idea because I think at first you're looking for God, and then you said, okay, I will replace God with a mentor with leaders. Yes, yes, that's something you need someone. To kind of like be above it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to go and tell you this is your direction, and mm -hmm. you need that kind of like direction, but you'll be perfectly fine taking it from their own with just very minimal directions going forward, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Can I ask a question? When you were when you first worked with that mentor, that was a very high risk activity because you didn't have a lot of money to play with. So. I'm hoping that somebody who's listening to this is not in that position Correct, and they yeah. do have a little bit of extra cash, but mm -hmm. uh, you took a super high risk with this particular person and that person wasn't Chris, it was someone before no, you no, met no, no. Chris. No, no. So how did you gauge that this person was going to be the good, the good option, the best use of your last, whatever, 2,500 bucks? Because I could have gone two very different ways, right? Well, quite frankly, it was that he had done it for other people. Mm -hmm. like he'd helped so it other was recommendations. Correct. It was, it was, Correct. It was that a referral. lady that told you, oh, you need someone, she referred you probably. Exactly. Okay. She did. Directly yeah. to him. He said, oh, this guy works specifically with trainers to build So you put businesses. yourself in the right environment. Exactly. With, with, with people that are searching for results, 
right? They call themselves the aware people. They're in, I assume, some party with lots of flowers around them. Conscious <laughs> people, right? The yes. conscious people. Yes. And some say, I'm very, very aware and conscious of myself. You don't you have a mentor? Let me connect you. And you were comfortable. You were just, okay, you know what? I'll do it. I saw that Tony Robbins made an impact. You already opened up for, for mm-hmm. that idea. And mm-hmm. then you moved in. I mean, look, when, when we're like, a, like as people, when we, when we go and we look for answers, many times you want to make sure that the answer is going to come from someone that's going to tell us so we don't have to find it ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it's very hard to think that I'm the only one that I have to come up with everything. So it's so convenient when you say, you know what, there is a rabbi, I'll follow this rabbi or a priest or Tony Robbins or mm-hmm. something like this. And this is where a lot of people are challenging that concept because they're saying you idolize those people. But in reality, it works for some. I think it doesn't work for everybody. But, but it definitely works for some. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. when you take something that they're saying, just saying something and actually pushing it into your subconscious, right? If you tell me right now where he said, look, your proximity is... Uh, how did you Proximity work? is power. Proximity yeah. is power, right? You'll hear about this since you're a kid, right? Tell me who your friends and I'll tell you who you are. You hear it all the time. But mm-hmm. why is it that when you go and you pay so much money... Well, by the way, not everyone has those messages from when they're a kid. Maybe you were oh, fortunate to get those messages, okay. but most people don't have that message in their ears. No. I didn't. I didn't. It, most people's friends are just the people that are they're closest to them physically. He's not wrong because I know that quote, like, you know, the five best friends or, mm-hmm. you know, all these quotes about being around the right people. I only really started to see and hear these quotes when I was already becoming successful. And then I found myself mm-hmm. consuming this content all the time. And this is what all the, but I was very much self-taught. So mm-hmm. I was the mm-hmm. person who was seeking this out on my own. And then I would listen to a business mentor say surround yourself with the best people but it wasn't my parents it wasn't wasn't my it wasn't my friends in high school and university that were saying like hey scott go level yourself up Mm -hmm. so you do you have children no kids no kids okay so you guys don't have children imagine if you are the tony robbins for your children imagine when you grow your children and you tell them look you can make your life very easy if you're surrounding with the right people They'll drive you into the right directions. Always go with people that do better than you, because that's how I grew up with, right? We were very poor. My mom and I were also, I mean, there was a point that we had no place to live. She was a living au pair. She had no place to live, so I had to find some church people to help me be around over here. And, mm-hmm. But it was stuck in my head for years, right? And mm-hmm. you don't put all that attention into it, but you somehow gravitate towards it when you're young. So imagine if you take those knowledge and you say, okay, it is going to work for me, but how great it is if I can pass it on. Yes. And they're going to yes. be kind of like, it's going to be part of their DNA, their instinctive part where they're going to come in like animals and figuring out who are the right people to hang with. And don't. it's just your life as a parent are going to be so much easier, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When you grow, and it doesn't have to be the, the private versus public. It's really easy. All you have to do is, are they bookworms? Are they just, what are they do? How is their language? How do they speak? Let me hear their verbiage. Yeah. Right? And it's yes. just for you guys, when you have this, it's all about, we were poor. My mom and I were growing poor in, in, a, in an area that was good, but, but some people would be very poor, some rich, but it doesn't really matter for her. She didn't care if you came for money or not. She wanted to hear how my friends speak. She wanted to hear their Hebrew. And she would say, okay, you should spend more time with this friend. Mm. I, I don't want you to play with that kid. Straight out. Wow. Just with her, wow. yes, that, that counts to Very wise. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, I had all the messages when I was younger around 
you know, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault that my life is the way that it is. And just that victim mentality, which I think it, it was rural America. I grew up in a small town in Northwest Florida near Pensacola and no one that I grew up around, no one now has money or is successful. Most of them still live in that same town. They're repeating the same patterns of their parents and that culture, that, that poor people subculture. And I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying it produces a certain result. And I knew that, that I knew from when I was young, I didn't want that result. I didn't quite know how to get out of it till later. Actually, but that's probably why you were depressed. Yeah, yeah. When you were trying to figure it out in LA. Yeah. How old were you when you ended up being a homeless? I was 24, I was almost 25, yeah. When Did I you graduate from college? By yeah, then? I'd already graduated college, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But college didn't do anything for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We did speak about this before. Yeah, a little right. before the show, yeah. College is... And tell uh, us, for, for, the, for our listeners, what did you study? Marketing and economics. Marketing yeah. and economics? And you did not find this amazing job, 500000 a year, right, no. after college? No, the How thing come? is, speaking of mentors or the lack thereof, I mean, if you go to, if you go to college to learn business, think about who you're learning from. You're learning from people that are academics. These are bookworms. These are not practitioners. They're not people like the three of us that actually run successful businesses Very today. I will say shout out to like Stanford and Harvard who actually do employ. Yes. They do have some actual business people there yes, on staff. Do, but Good. not not very many business schools have them, especially right. not an undergrad level. Usually it's for like a post, like a postdoctorate or like mm -hmm. a. No, he's being Canadian and nice right now. No, so I mean, saying. Stanford has like some. <laughs> no, they do. They great. Do, they so do. for yeah. the Stanford <laughs> people, yeah, yeah. congratulations. There's about 1,200 yeah. colleges in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Okay, So you're plucking those two right now that most yeah. people can't go into unless there's yeah. a crazy story behind them but yeah yes you're right most don't have yeah. actual like operators from businesses or they haven't operated in like a, a significant period of time mm -hmm. so that's what you're stuck with yeah and so uh, you go to those classrooms and sure i can learn information i can memorize information out of a book but i'm not actually using it so that's why it wasn't useful and to it's me probably updated too i mean i just love yeah. it because you go and you say listen i went to school i spent years in school I ended up being homeless after school and I didn't even consider doing something around this. I didn't consider taking another course in college to help me get out of my situation. I just went and listened to Tony Robbins and I got out of it. It's like with a big fuck you with two fingers, with both hands to, to the educational system. So if you didn't understand that up until now, I mean, what else? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, where, where are you at now? So after, so you grew this coaching business to like one point something million. Yeah, it was the second year. And then I, I grew it by, the next year was 2.2, the next year 2.6, and then 2020 was the last year that I ran it before I sold it. And it did 3 million in revenue that year. I sold it right at the end of the year. And um, the reason why I sold it is frankly, I was bored. I was just, I, I felt like when you run an education business, you're teaching a particular topic. Mm -hmm. And after a while, you're teaching the same thing over and over and over and over and over. For a creative like me, it was boring. I needed to do something else. So I removed myself from the operations of it. I put leaders in it. I went from, at the beginning of that year, working 70 hours a week down to five hours a week. And the margins, ironically, went up yeah. when that happened because I got people better than me doing the different parts of the business. And then, and then I sold it. And when that happened, I was like, okay, I really want to learn about because the business was very stressful. I really want to learn about passive investing. Mm -hmm. I learned about how to grow my wealth without working that hard. Um, who wouldn't, right? But that was the big idea. And so I'd heard real estate was great for that. So I start going all in on learning in real estate. I'm listening to podcasts. I eventually joined a mastermind so I can learn from real practitioners in mm -hmm. person, people that are doing this. And after looking at, because I've got this capital 
and I want to invest it to grow it. But I also, I moved most of my funding from it to come in the beginning of 2021, as opposed to the end of 2020, because I knew that I was going to get hit with a big tax bill if I didn't. I mean, you've exited, you understand this problem that happens. So I was like, okay, how do I offset these taxes as much as possible as realistic? And so in joining this real estate mastermind, they show me a way to do that. It's what's called accelerated appreciation. It's where you can buy a property and then in the first year of ownership, you can take all of the depreciation associated with that property and, ha- and use it as an expense to wipe out your income, to wipe out your taxable income and therefore pay no taxes. So when I discovered this, I was like, oh, this is like magic. So I wanna buy properties, but then I'm like, okay, what properties do I buy though? So I start looking at different structures and if you've ever looked at real estate deals, you, there's many different kinds. You can do syndications, you can do single family homes where you're purchasing individual homes. You can buy short-term rentals. So you could buy a home to then rent out for vacation users. You could buy multifamily apartments. But then there's a section which fewer people invest in or understand as a percentage of the total real estate investor market. And that's in commercial deals that are non-multifamily. So I start realizing there was just like a few people that were doing that in this master, hundreds of guys that are all doing real estate, just like literally three or four that were doing this type of investing. But as I look closer, I start looking at these deals and I realize there's a specific type of lease structure in commercial and non-multifamily commercial deals where it is 100% passive. It's where the tenant, the person that is inside of your business property, they'll pay for your property taxes, they'll pay for all the maintenance, they'll pay for all the insurance, they'll pay for literally anything that goes wrong with property, they handle it themselves, they pay for it out of their own pocket and it's no stress to you. So as I start comparing this to all the other types of deals, I'm like, this seems like the least stressful. Can I ask, yeah. why, so, and just to put a time frame on it, this is, as you're exiting your business 2020, you push the sale to 2021. I push the funding, yes. The funding, so you get a calendar year to figure out where Correct. to put your money, Correct. so you don't get screwed on taxes. Correct. You figure out this commercial, non-multi-res real estate op- opportunity. And for this particular opportunity, why would they take care of all that shit? The tenants, excuse me? Well, they, they do it. They, there's, there's why there's, is that? What's it? I'm I'm not real estate, so yeah, yeah. So teach me as to why somebody would a do triple that. net a triple net when you when well, you buy a warehouse. They'll do this. They'll do this as a percentage because it means that they can pay lower rent. Okay. So they'll take on more responsibility, both time, energy, and money for themselves to cover all these additional expenses out of their own pocket. So. For an investor like me that wants to feel more passive in my experience, this is great. Now, there are some investors that are like, they don't mind. They'll take the stress. They're like, okay, sure, you can call me at 7 a.m. for a broken pipe. But it's it's actually standard for commercial real estate. In commercial real estate. Triple net is the standard. Okay. It's just what people do. Yeah. You you go and you do the math. It's like, okay, if, if this is the rent, then the rent comes after they pay triple net, after they pay your taxes on the property and everything because else, so that is your if profit. If you're buying larger multi-res, then you'd already have a management team in place that would be taking care of most of these things anyways. But for, then you have to manage people, right? You do mm-hmm. have to manage people, So yeah. it's, it's still a headache, and then yeah. Yeah. more gray hair, less. And there's still decisions that get floated up yeah. to you. There always is. But in triple net, it's way easier, way less headache. And, and why is this not a more popular version of real estate? Well, there's several reasons. One of them is because, in general, most people would prefer to do deals that are smaller in, in total price. For, and that's for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's less intimidating just right off the bat. And second of all, because it requires larger amounts down to get into properties that are triple net. They tend to be you bigger. You finance it the same way. When you, when you look at the residential, you can get sometimes 5% down, sometimes no, nothing down, and you, you're good to go, right? But when it's a commercial, usually the interest rate is higher. 
mm-hmm. and you have to put a bigger percentage down. Correct. So it, the pool of, of people that can enter this, plus the size is bigger. So the mm-hmm. pool of, of people that can enter this. However, once you go into it, if you think about a warehouse, it's four walls, right? You do nothing. You don't have to worry about it. Maybe the roof, but that's it, right? And then what happened is they go and they do it long-term, five years, right? Six years, long-term leases and uh, versus a, a residential where people get it for a year. A year at a time. A year yeah. at a time, every time. And then a million things can break. A water heater, now they're going to sue you because she was pregnant and those and so on. And they actually broke the water heater so they can sue you. It's just <laughs> all those little issues. You're, when looking, you're, you're looking into some of this stuff now. You're, yeah. So... One thing about Yosef is when he wants to figure something out, like he like you can tell he's like focused on learning about this thing because he'll like learn every nuance about yes, it. Yes, of and course. And the reason why it's interesting is because he's actually looking at commercial property. I think like as we I speak. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking yeah, at so commercial and residential should, you, at once. You guys well, yeah, mo- most yeah. investors. Yeah, yeah. Mo- yeah. Most business guys, if yeah. they've gone through an exit, I mean, they're gonna put some of that capital in real estate. Yeah, it's real just estate. Like, you know, so show me, show me how many people lost their money starting a startup or business, and show me how many people lost their money. In real estate except bubbles it's very hard to find people that lost money on real estate so real estate really take it, it's not like there is no brain there is brain into it but it doesn't take to it it just takes a different type of person and when you look at real estate like uh, uh, right now I'm, I'm learning right I'm, I'm an apprentice right I did not touch any investments of any kind all those years I had one thing in mind selling mm-hmm. those black boxes yeah to to make a plovers and then let me worry about everything else once I'm done right? I was the same way and it's like right you, yeah. you double down same you, way yeah so now now when I look at this there are two parts where I look at something right I, I was very inspired have you heard of uh, Moishe Mana no. Okay. Moishe Mana is a multi-billionaire, a real estate, a tycoon, where he actually built first. Um, when you look at the meatpacking district in New York, it was literally a meatpacking district. So he started purchasing properties over there um, over time and just transformed the whole place once he bought the whole place down. And he didn't really care much about the rent. It was more of uh, kind of like... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, where you where you kind of like a land banking, right? It was just putting four percent, but then eventually what he did, he made it that look and feel, made that be cool, and then eventually he took all that that cash, he doubled down, and he went to Winwood. When Winwood was a place you don't want to drive there during the day, and he bought. 16 square blocks. Wow. And he didn't change nothing. He didn't build nothing except one uh, one place with convention center over there. But he, he did build nothing. He just pay, he paid painters to come and paint. And then he started going from all those uh, commercial areas uh, that were for warehouses. He had to rezone them to, to be uh, restaurants. You have the to retail. rezone, right? Yeah, yeah re- different type of retail. And he made uh, Winwood suddenly safe. And I spoke to him and he said, one day I drove at night and no one wanted to go in with him. He drove at night and he saw two young ladies going with miniskirts at night. And, and he called his brother and said, we made it. Now it's safe. Yep. You're going to see. Now it's going to block. And today, Winwood is Winwood. And he owns 16 square blocks. Still. Still. Wow. Because in real estate, you don't sell, no, right? You no. refi. You so hold. you refine. Yep. And now he ended up buying... So he told me now what he's doing is he's buying uh, downtown, but only on Flagler. Because Flagler is the first my, uh, street in Miami that was incorporated in 1895. Mm. So he told me what I'm doing is I'm just buying everything all the way to the hood, whatever it is, I buy it all. And then I, I put one or two destination places into it. And then I start changing the tenants, making sure that there are better tenants, making the place look cool, fun, chic, not expensive. I, I don't like it expensive, but I just like... 
so he started building everything. So the way I'm looking at this now, there, uh, there is a, there's a, an area in Miami that's a block away from Wynwood. And my friends and I are, we're buying now, we're going to start buying now properties. And it's still cheap. It's still scary. It's wow. still sketchy. But we're going to buy blocks. Once you own the whole block, it's, it's a safe place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You own the whole block. So the idea is you buy place after place after place. And the good thing is once you have, you know, once you start renting it right now, it's the best time because obviously interest rates are high. So the pool of buyers is lower. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you buy it in now in cash. You wait for the interest rate to go. Then you refi later on. Mm-hmm. And with that money, you buy another property. So basically a dollar turns into 20. You know the drill. You know the, But the idea is go. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show. And NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners. Because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
it's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935 and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. To one area, buy the whole block. And make sure that your friend buy the blocks nearby. And you wait for the whole area to develop. You do it Mm -hmm. right next to a good developed area. And then you wait for the whole... So it's it's land banking. You put the money in, the whole area prays eventually. So you put it for a dollar, then it's two dollars, and then uh, or three dollars, and then you can change more. You can charge more rent, but you never really sell it. Mm-hmm. You always mm-hmm. keep it, and mm-hmm. then you just, you just refine refi- it your, more. You yeah. refi your refi- principal out and then put it somewhere yes. else. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, the the well, that, that's a big money right. play. So uh, a lot of people they don't have a hundred million dollars to play you with to buy 100. blocks. You don't and need good. You can get a block for for 
10, 15, two, mm. three blocks. Mm -hmm. And that's all it needs because in the center of town, by downtown, there's no more expansion. No one does right, any right, more right. single homes. Yeah. They're only going to build more buildings. Correct. So High you're going to be right there. You, you kind of like the last mo uh, uh, Mohican standing, the, the last Mohawk, right? The Mohican. The, yeah, yeah, Mohican. So it's like, <laughs> just as you're buying them now in the cheapest area because it's just a matter of time, give it yeah. five years, five, ten, it's going to be gold. Yes. Yep, yep. And you don't need that much money. And people can come in. You can buy two, three homes if I tell you where it is. And you can come in with a million or two million and you're mm -hmm. just good. Mm -hmm. You're just sitting on it. And we're all doing it collectively. Mm -hmm. And we're mm -hmm. lifting the whole place. You yeah. don't have to go with yep. 500 million like, uh, like he did when he bought Winwood at the time. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. I love that play too. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the initial pain I was trying to get out of with my investing was, A, I want it to be passive. So I want my appreciation to happen whether or not I do anything. And I don't want any additional expenses. And then B, it was, how do I eliminate my taxes? How do I literally just... The, the outcome was this, can, is it possible that I can use money that I'm already gonna spend on my taxes and use just that portion of my exit to buy properties? And so I closed on my first property in, in uh, my first commercial property in April, 2021 to do this. This was a $3.7 million, $3 million property. And I did it in such a way where, and this is a big part of my strategy now for what I do with investors is I negotiated between, um, I got a loan on the property and I also negotiated the seller of the property to carry a portion of the down payment for me so that I was able to get in for a very, very small percentage. Mm -hmm. I was able to get in for, I don't know, it was 414,000 on a $3.7 million deal, mm -hmm. which is just over 10%. It's very low as a percentage compared to what you said, most times in commercial, you're putting down 25, 30%. That's the typical. A lot of times, multifamily deals is 35%. So it'll be even higher LTV. So here I am getting in for about 12% on this deal. And it was like, a, and in the process, putting down 400 grand, I was able to offset exactly 400 grand from my tax bill, from my exit. Amazing. So all of a sudden it clicked in my head. I'm like, what if I could do this for other people? What if I could take an investor that entrepreneurs, they make a high income, you know, not even people that exit, but just people that make a high income and don't have offset for their taxes. They're going to, on a million dollars of income, they're going to pay 300 grand in taxes. How can I make it so that I can get them into a secure deal like this? It, you know, leases, not just five years in length, but 10 years, 15 years. My average is 20 years on deals that I buy for myself, 20 year leases. So someone buys a deal, they have guaranteed income for two decades. You like talk about set it and forget it. All the expenses are covered. All the management's handled for two decades guaranteed. And so I got 20 years and call it a $4 million deal. I can get somebody in for 300 grand, 250 grand sometimes. And at the same time offset 400 grand in taxes on that same deal for them. So it's something that I realized and I, and I can share more on this, something that didn't exist really in the space. I mean, most yeah. times it's if a, you look a at a deal, you understand. It's a, it's, a, it's a finished good that you're giving people that yeah. don't have to think too much. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I end up being the seller in this arrangement to them because I buy the property, I get it set up and then I sell it off to them. And as a result, I can get them in because I'm the seller for less than they otherwise could do if they bought a property off of, you know, online exchange or something. Like you could, you could get a deal theoretically, like the ones that I give to investors, but you could never get into it for the amount of money that someone can get in with me. A $4 million deal, I mean, you're gonna put a million dollars in. So that. aren't you taking on more risk though that way? I, I am, but that's why I make sure the leases that I structure with my tenants, that yeah. 
are structured a very particular way. Like, I'll give you an example. And I have this fast food chain that I work with. I have several locations I'm selling this month for them. Um, I'm buying a couple myself. I'm selling a couple to investors. And on these leases, not only are they triple net to where they cover everything, but they're also a step above, which is called absolute triple net, which means that literally anything that goes wrong with the structure, AC they take care broke, of. everything. AC, the roof needs replacing, the parking lot needs repaving, literally anything, they take care of it. But also there's layers of what's called guarantees on the lease. So when you have a corporate tenant, it's very normal for them to put what's called a corporate guarantee on it. So even if they're indiv that individual location struggles for a period of time for whatever reason, then Mama Corporation will continue to pay your lease for you. So that's one layer of guarantee. Now, this particular chain is also held in a portfolio company, portfolio entity, where there's several other brands that are held inside of it, which is also normal. Typically, you know, you've got private equity or, or an ownership group, they wanna own multiple brands. Well, that portfolio company has a guarantee on the lease mm, as well. Amazing. So you've got the corporate guarantee, you've got the portfolio company, and then one, the majority owner of that portfolio company is super, super wealthy guy. He also agreed to put a personal guarantee. Oh, wow. So his own assets are on the line if something were to go wrong with the lease. And you have to understand, you've started looking at commercial leases, so you know, you have context on this. That is extremely rare. That does not happen. Literally, the only way you can get leases like that are if you negotiate them off market, which is what I do. All my deals are off market. And so that's why I feel very comfortable both buying them myself. I'm like, I'm not gonna lose money here. This so, those, those, so those deals are, are the ones where we spoke about this before. Say uh, a chain is gonna come buy the land for 500, build it for, for another 500, they're in for a million. They sell it to you for 2 million, but they guarantee you everything in, we're gonna rent it for the next 20 years. So they made 500,000 off the bat before they even started. Then they got um, a franchisee to be uh, to be forced to go and pay you everything, plus paying them commission. Have their own guarantees at the so, franchise. Yes, that's that. Well, the kind in, of in this case, it's not a fran it's not franchise yes. manager, it's corporate manager. Okay, it's a corporate manager. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm talking more McDonald's style because right, that's right. exactly what McDonald does. That's their model. McDonald's model is. I mean, I have much more respect for McDonald now than uh, knowing how they operate. Uh, in today's world, because what you saw with the founder was a little bit different with the movie. In today's structure is what I, I mentioned, where they buy the property, they build the property, they sell the property to someone else, and they guarantee to lease it for 20 right, years. Right. But then they don't technically guarantee, they don't really lease it. That's a franchisee that has to pay the, mm. the rent. And obviously, if that franchisee is no good, then they said, okay, then we're going to find you another franchisee because that's not a problem for them. Mm -hmm. But they know that the franchisee is going to be in business. They know that everything is going to work. And then that's how they, uh, they operate. So that's, uh, they make money from the franchisee. Plus, it's not even their thing. So they just make money before they even started. They bought something for a dollar, but uh, they go, uh, it goes for $2. So, so, so the, I guess the secret sauce really is finding some of these off-market deals too, because that's what a well, lot of the- It's not just finding the deals. It's yeah. a good question that you're asking. But for me, everybody that's in real estate is looking for off-market deals, okay? If you find, typically, if you find a deal that's listed on an exchange online, you're only seeing that deal because yeah. it passed through five other investors' hands yeah. at a minimum, and they said no. So that's why it's listed on an exchange. All the best deals, you'll never see online. And they're all passed under the table, so of to course. speak, between guys that are that have connections. So I realized early on, if I was gonna be new into this space, I, I, wasn't, gonna, I wasn't gonna get access to the, the best deals. I had to make them. I had to literally create them out of nothing. Ex nihilo is a old, um, old Greek term that I learned from, from Bible school. 
It means out of nothing. Oh, it actually means out of yeah, nothing. Yeah, okay, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, or no, that's Latin, ex nihilo. But, uh, you know, when you said you learned something from Bible school, did you feel like there are some things you learn from a religious time of your life that apply for business? Of course, of course. Right. Everything that I've gone through has been instructive and useful to help me into the businessman, to the man that yeah. I am today. Yeah, and I think you talked about this, this respect for authority. I definitely learned a, a, like a level of coachability from, from being in religion. And that's mm -hmm. maybe not something that most people would connect, but I learned an appreciation for, call it following orders from people that I trust and being coachable, being willing to implement, being somebody that's disciplined. Um, from that because prior to religion, I became a Christian when I was 16. I didn't have any of that. I was very lazy. I felt very disconnected, lost in the world, so to speak. And, uh, and it provided a, a sense of structure that maybe the military provides that for other people in their life or, or something else. But yeah, it was useful in that way. And you're right. The, the military does. I'm ex-military. So it's, it's definitely, there's some, I mean, it depends how you take things in life, right? Things can go right above your head and you wouldn't notice and you wouldn't think about this. But when you're in a creative mode, when you're building a business, I, I think you're being forced to go back into your inner self and everything you ever had in your life, you use it as a tool and you say, I'm going to make something out of nothing, no matter what it is. And if it was Bible school, if it was, if, if it was uh, minus business school, <laughs> but everything else, you can go and bring it all in and you can say that is more instrumental than you would think if you actually go and think about how to leverage that in your life. So mm -hmm. I think I think when you go to say Bible Bible studies or if you go to military or something like that, you can absolutely use it for for leadership. But when you go to Bible school, you hear the the, the pastors like how can I be uh, as charismatic as that person that speak on the stage? Very much so. Right? How can Very I get people's so. emotions to come out and because people would follow you because of their emotion, not because of their rationale. They will justify it with the rationale, but they'll do it because of their Definitely. emotional side, right? For emotional so you, reasons. You, you just tap through. And if, when, by the way, when you, when you tap into the people's emotion, it's not about his intelligent anymore. You, for, for, for good or bad, right? When you wanted to go and convince anyone, right? when, when, the, when the Nazis wanted to, to convince the Germans that it's time to go and be the superior race and kill Jews, the Germans didn't go into their rationale, they went to their emotional side, right? So it can go the other mm -hmm, way around, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So how can you go and influence people positively, right? You need to understand the difference between your rationale and your emotional part. Definitely. Um, Definitely. I want, but go back to what you're saying, though. To find these deals, you're not mm -hmm. finding these deals. So it's very, or it's hard to find these deals. So you're building them from the ground up. So exactly. How do you build these deals. Well, I build relationships with tenants that want to expand into new locations. They have many locations around the country, and they are in a position where they want to expand into new markets. Their core business model is very profitable, but they just don't have. They don't want to allot the capital to buy the real estate. Or they don't have the team internally that can go and find the they right real estate. The cash flow. Yeah, they want to keep their cash. And so my model, what it allows them to do is have a new location, have the build out done and have 18 months of operating capital and for free. Like all they have to do, all they have to do is sign a 20 year guaranteed lease. It's a very strict lease. It is. It's very, very like hard line guarantees I negotiate and get. But at the end of the day, if they're confident in their business model, which they are then they'll sign that lease because it enables them to grow their business very, very fast. I mean, this is not unusual within commercial tenants. I, I feel like it's useful for me to give an example. 
like Amazon doesn't own mm-hmm. a huge percentage of the buildings that they use. They That's just right. lease. And the reason why is because they don't want their capital tied up in a building when they know that that same capital used in their core business model will yield them a much higher percentage. Mm-hmm. So many businesses are like this. They're like, hey, you go and make it ready to go where we can start making cash day one, which fast food restaurants, they're profitable day one. Like they, they're just like, they have a grand opening, a bunch of people come through, they make a bunch of money. So it's a good business model that has fast cash startup on it. I was, I was actually looking at a couple Amazon facilities that facilities, wanted to yeah. open, and I think it's around $40 million mm-hmm. when they wanted mm-hmm. to open each one of them. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the same scheme like, uh, like uh, McDonald's. Yep. Buy the place, build Sale the place, back. Yep. and then, uh, and they're never going to get out. So it's a guarantee, four percent cap rate plus, and all that. And usually you'll find a lot of um, uh, real estate investment trusts mm-hmm. going through this, uh, and you'll put their money with them, and then they'll go and they'll rent this. I mean, I think Harris Harris is one a big real estate investment trust that has about nine billion under ma- management, and it's mostly Walmart and. Um, and Amazon's locations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's it's something that's been going on through. I mean, it's going to be dying out for the little person eventually. It's going to go more into big money uh, institution because it's already a business. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when when you wanted to get a guarantee return, that's that's how you do it. Yep. Do you have to? So when you're buying these buildings, um, and is there like a chicken and egg scenario where? you have to find the building and then you have to put it in front of the actual corporation to make sure they approve of the location then you close on it is that yeah there's, there's a definitely. little bit of due diligence there yeah well to make sure that- basically i won't even start looking for the buildings until i have an agreement in place okay. with the tenant but then when i do and i understand their specifications then i work with a site selector that goes and helps me find the individual locations gotcha. and of course they have to give the stamp of approval yeah. that they want to move into it no of course okay yeah yeah um so then then you structured this building in an interesting way to sort of get yourself into the market a little bit quicker, right? Because mm-hmm. you're coming from an exit. You don't have a huge real estate track record mm-hmm. when you're first getting in. Yeah. So how do you make these? And I, this was interesting because you're talking about even numbers before, like the percent interest and the fact that you can bring the actual uh, down payment down from whatever 30 plus percent to 10 six, seven, six, percent. seven. So how do you how do you do these deals? How do you structure it so that your investors actually get these opportunities that normally they wouldn't have access to in terms of like the actual financing that you're putting forward? Well, there's a couple things that make that possible. First of all, I work with local banks who give me very aggressive, very good lending terms that bigger banks that most novice investors would not have access to. Because I now have a track record on yeah. closing so I many get, deals. I ask in today's world, what's your, what's your interest rate? Oh, well, it changes week to week. I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably change again. So it's, 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 you know, it can't be nailed down right now. I think we're coming to the end of when it'll, it'll stop. It'll start like freezing for a little while Mm -hmm. towards the end of this year, 2022, when we're recording this, and then it'll kind of stay static for a couple of years. That's my guess before the fed starts bringing it back down. We're going to, we're going into a recession. I mean, there's going to be some pain that this economy feels a lot fewer people are going to be spending money like they were these previous few years. And I think overall it's a good thing. You know, we, we kind of had the the price, the values of things are a bit inflated from the last few years of having a 0% interest rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good. But I mean, right now what I'm able to lock in for at least five years at a time is um, five and three quarters percent. But again, by the time this comes out, it's not going to be that anymore. Yeah. It's going to go up again. This is just the nature of, yes. of my industry right now. Um, 
But yeah, there's ways that I flex on it. I, I get very high percentage loan to value is what it's called. Right now I'm able to get 85% with a bank, local bank, very, very unusual. But then also I float about half of it to an end investor. So I'm floating about seven and a half percent to them. So they can close on it for themselves, only putting 7% down. So you think about this, that same person, they go and buy that deal on online and it still won't have the same level of guarantees that my leases do. And it probably won't have as long of a lease as mine are. Maybe it's 10 years mm -hmm. instead. That same deal, they're gonna put 25% down on. Because let's just say for simple numbers, it's a it's a $5 million deal, okay? They're gonna put 25% down. And that's on a that's very good if they can get 25% for the normal investor. Most times they're putting 30, 35. But let's say it's 25%. That means they're gonna put $1.25 million down to own that property. Whereas with me, a $5 million deal, they can get into it for about 400 grand or th maybe 350 grand. And yet, because they're 100% owner on that deal, they get all the benefit of all the appreciation that happens through time. So every single year in my leases, the rent goes up. It goes up 2% every year, like clockwork. Mm -hmm. And that is that what that creates is people in real estate understand this term. It's called forced appreciation. That means the property must appreciate because the income is going up. There are three things that affect the value of a property in commercial. This is just buildings around and then. Uh... Well, three, three things that that affect it. it. It's actually pretty simple. Number one is how much income am I getting paid from the property? Number two, how long am I going to get paid that income for? So over what length of time is the lease? And number three is how likely am I to get paid that amount? So how secure is it? Those three things, if you affect, if you improve any one of those, then the value of your property goes up. Mm -hmm. So that's why when you increase the income on a property and people in multifamily know this, you raise the rents, you raise that's the That's why people give you tenant improvements. They exactly. say, I'll give you 40 bucks a foot instead of 35, but I'll give you $100,000 to renovate whatever you want. Because mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. want to make sure that they can do the refi and the... Exactly, yeah. exactly. So anyway, that same deal, they're gonna get that 100% of the appreciation because they're 100% owner. But now, instead of having to tie up 1.25 million, they could put 400 grand in, and then they can go, they have 800 grand left out. And by the way, they've wiped out 500 grand in taxes at least from this, from just that. So they've now literally become cash flow positive just on the tax savings. And then they still have 800 grand left over they can go and put into, call it another multifamily deal or buy some houses with that or buy a block next to Yusuf here. Like, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I, I can totally relate it because when you run a company, you're, you're, not, you're not trying to be in a real estate business. When you, when you, sell, when you sell hamburgers or whatever, you, you're trying to just do your job and grow and then you, because when you wanna sell this business later on or go public, or so on, they're not going to judge you on the appreciation of your properties that you, you accumulate, right? You're, they're going to be judged based on the growth of the business and your EBITDA, and that's, that's what it can come down to. Yeah. So, yep. so you want to make sure that you keep, and, and cash is king. Yep. A cash is king. Look, Apple had more cash than any nation globally, right, in, in reserves, but COVID happened, they went and they borrowed cash. They just wanted, like, oxygen. So... So that is a solution for a lot of companies, and that is a very unorthodox way to tackle a problem that most people don't think about. Yeah. So you went to a conference, basically. You heard about the. You went to a real estate conference. Well, it's not quite that simple. I mean, I talked to 
I, I looked at so many different deal structures and some of it was at conferences, some of it was just in Zoom meetings with people that I knew were experienced. And I basically synthesized a version of this mm. from multiple different deal structures. Interesting. Um, I didn't get this from any one person and it didn't work like my previous business where somebody just handed me a blueprint yeah. and I paid them for that and then I executed on it. Like I had to pull it together. And so at the same time, the value that I received for myself as a business owner providing this to others is greater than the type of business that I had before. I mean, I've gotten significantly wealthier using this model because it is by the numbers, much more value that I'm providing to. So, you know, I, I want to ask you, so since, since you're making millions, right, you're worth millions and in cash. So tell us about your lifestyle. I mean, we, we see a lot of people flexing a particular lifestyle once they start making some cash. And mm -hmm. how is it for you? I mean, say cars and, and watches. And I mean, you look very simple, kind of like reminds me of me. Thank, thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not like Scott over here wearing a watch. Trying to show off his Rolex over here. You said you said we were going to wear blazers. I put on a blazer. <laughs> I was, yeah, I know. I said that. I changed my mind. So. Well, this is a good, I appreciate this question. It's something that I actually think a lot about. What are you wearing on your wrist? Uh, these are just my intent bracelets. These are reminders. They're words about what I want to focus on. One says legacy, thinking yeah. about mm -hmm. uh, my life after I'm gone. And the other says grateful. I love it. So these are things that kind of ground me whenever I look at them. Yeah. Great company run by my friend Chris Pan. Uh, my intent. Is I know Chris Pan. You I know had him Chris? on my show, yeah. Oh, cool. I was yeah. just with him at Burning Man. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just hanging <laughs> out. He's very cool. Oh, very, he's very amazing. Cool. He's amazing. I, I was actually wondering because I, I, I interviewed him probably about a year ago and I remember he was building out that company. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure if it was the same thing, but that's very yeah. funny. Small, it's Chris. It's a very man. small world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, the lifestyle question. I, I live a very simple life right now, and I'm I'm thinking about elevating into that next level of stratosphere, like buying a big ranch property, making a compound, like building my own custom gym on the property. This would be in Texas, yeah. not here in Florida. Um, I'm thinking about those things. I'm not super attracted to buying expensive cars. It, for whatever reason, it's never quite landed for with me as being important or even interesting. Um, I do think about watches, buying yeah. nice watches, partly because they hold their value and uh, pretty well. It's definitely better than cars. And also because um, they're just interesting to me. What did you what did you do when you when you sold? I literally lived the exact same lifestyle. Yeah, I am thinking about buying a plane sometime in the next couple months, um, a private plane, because I do see the usefulness of that, of being able to fly private. I'm getting tired of flying even first class commercial, it's like getting harder and harder to know when you're mm -hmm. actually gonna show up at the place because flights get delayed or they get canceled. Yeah. It's happening more and more and more. How, how often do you fly? How often do you fly? Every week. Okay. That's it would seem yeah. yeah, for one reason or another. So yeah. Whether I was just at Burning Man two weeks ago, I'm here for a week, I'm going back to Austin for an event, I'm going to Tulum next week. Uh, I'll be back here to film a bunch of content for my social the week after that. I mean it's just a lot. It's, mm -hmm. I'm I am also a film actor, so I fly on to set to do movies for periods of time. That's been a dream of mine for a while. What's a good cup rate, by the way, going back to real estate? <laughs> yeah. What's a good cup rate? Fuck all the lifestyle shit. Let me go Okay, so if someone's watching this, if someone's watching this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk it's boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, listen, listen. I mean, so someone's watching it, everybody gets a cup rate. What's your return on investment every year from your real estate that you would say, this is the least I would be consider? Uh, if it was a regular lease, not uh, 20 years and all that. 
Well, 20 years is something that is different. I pretty much always do yeah, at this point. Occasionally, I'll do 15 or 10 okay. because, and I'll tell you why, why that's important to me. I'll take a little bit lower cap rate to have more security on the length of the lease because I, I never want to be caught in a position where I could lose a bunch of value with a lease ending. Okay, so, so 10 years, what's the least cap rate you're going to consider? Uh, the lowest that I'd consider would probably be, a, I mean, a five or a five and yeah. a quarter. Yeah. But again, I'm always thinking, what is the return with the percentage return that I can get on it, which is massively affected by how much money I'm putting down. Mm -hmm. So if I can put down 7%, the same deal that for somebody else might be an 8% return would be 24% return for me because I'm getting in for a third what they're getting in. I have the same rent on the same deal. And yet it feels like three times the return because it logically is. So that's the way I think about it. I'm, I'm looking always north of 20% annualized return on my real estate deals. And that is a function of getting in for less. Mm -hmm. What's the deal that you're looking at now? That that warehouse you were looking at? No, the the warehouse is is one thing. The warehouse is um, something that I look. It doesn't matter at the warehouse. I'm actually uh, I just put an offer on the person. It was actually a cheap one, uh, but it was in an area that they bought out bunch of homes in a bad place that turn into a really good place and turning much more because they're, they're putting right in front of me a couple uh, high rises. Oh, nice. So there was a, a warehouse and then there was a residential place. So the residential was actually a small compound, 14,000 square feet with eight uh, units in it. And uh, the guy was trying to sell it for 1.9. We did the math that it's going to be 7% annualized return in the first year. And um, I said, you know, I'll just offer him one and a half, see. They told me it's just way too low. No one's gonna. So I offered, and now we came back with one point six five. So it's better. Yeah. So I said, all right. I mean, that's cool. Um, let's let's offer him one point five five. Tell him final. See how it does. I honestly don't care. It's a small deal. Right. It's so a important. very small deal. It's just yep. it's just there. I'm not really developing the area like I told you I want to do in Miami, where, where you feel like we have developed that area. When you're talking about legacy on your like, that's why you said, well, that area was not the same, and you want to feel like you've done something. This area, someone already they've been buying all those properties for five years already. Yeah. They're doing the same methodology yeah. that I spoke to you about. So it's less exciting. But I can still throw some money into it because it will have the same effect. Like, but there's not going to be the legacy behind this. I wasn't uh, one of the original ones, like like Michael Mana that, that like uh, Moshe Mana that built Winwood, and today Winwood is Winwood, and it associates in those circles. Everybody knows it's him, mm -hmm. right? So it mm -hmm. creates legacy. Mm -hmm. If you want to create legacy in, in a real estate world, you want to go to a place in Miami, and that that's where it's going to be, and it's it's going to be nice to know that you built this. But this is like an interesting deal, and I figure why not like throw something just for cash, and my kids one day will tell them that's yours, not, nothing more. That is a significant part of the value for legacy plays. Absolutely, is, is being able to point and say that's us, that's our family. Yes, like right there. Yeah, I have a question for you, and and I'm trying to understand, and you probably have a strategy with where you want to build your business and your, I'm going to call it a fund, but it's not a fund, like a firm, whatever company. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. When you're, when you're subsidizing, you're basically buying the properties and subsidizing the other investors heavily. Yes. Why aren't you just holding these properties yourself? Well, it's because it's extra 
cash for me to sell it to other people. And plus, as an individual investor- but Not, not immediately only, though, still. No, a lot of it comes later. Now yeah. I do make some money up front just yeah. because of the difference between the work, the, the property that I originally bought it for, I essentially add a significant amount of value to it by putting the tenant in, getting yeah. the construction You're done, doing all, all of that. Work. Yeah, I'm doing all of that. And so I'm increasing the value significantly in a short period of time. So I make some money up front, yeah. but yes, a big portion comes later. Um, Ultimately, I, I buy properties every single month. So I, I do buy a lot. Yeah. I buy, I don't know, I bought a $12 million property. Uh, when was that? July? I bought it in July. And I buy, I, I buy between seven and 10 million a month for so myself. What I'm trying to get to, I'm trying is to why don't I buy everything myself? Why don't you buy everything yourself? And then I can't also get, in your head, how do you choose which ones that you want to flip? Like what's mm -hmm. the what's the metric you look for or the or the category of property that you look for versus what you keep? Well, this is a good question. I literally don't sell a single thing to investors that I wouldn't happily buy myself. That's but, right. Yeah. I so, get that. so so everything you can fall down on it and it's yours. And yes. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. I, I would never. I would just for integrity reasons, I just wouldn't anyway. Of course, yeah. Um, but the reason why I don't buy everything myself is because I get more capital if other people put money down. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so I'm just making you that's as much my active you income that I then money. put into yeah. my yes. to buying my own deals. Yeah, so like a flywheel going exactly. Okay. So I take the money that I earn from investors from buying them a building, and then I buy more buildings with it. So, but that isn't is that? I mean, for, I guess I misunderstood. Isn't that actually? Um, taking away from your cash flow for five years. I mean, you put the money in and only. Well, because I get some years. money up front, you know, based on what they they put down. Oh, so okay. I get some You're money up front. Basically, maximizing yeah. in all and by the way, aspects. And money. by the way, as time goes on, yeah, I will require investors to put more money down. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do it the way that I'm doing now. It's an extraordinary deal in the way that it is today. But someone like Grant Cardone would never do this because he doesn't have to. He has a big enough brand where he can get more money up front because people just know his name. And as my brand grows, I will do more of the same just because I just won't have to do anything else. So really people that invest with me now are getting the best deal that they're ever gonna get. And quite frankly, that they literally could not get yeah. from anyone else. Terms this good, they cannot, it doesn't exist. So, and I stand by that. Like, I, because, anybody yeah, that wants to, show me a deal that looks as good as yeah. mine. They don't. So, where do you? So, when you when you build out real estate firm, where mm -hmm. do you take it? Do you start to raise funds and do larger investments? Is that? Yeah, yeah. I'll get into next? bigger and bigger deals for okay. sure. For sure, I'll get into you know thirty million dollars. I mean, I'm looking at a thirty three million dollar deal with a partner right now. Somebody, a big retail deal, big shopping mm -hmm. center in Florida, and I'd love to do more like that. I'd love to do some hundred million dollar deals. In a year, that's probably the size deals I'll mostly be doing. So, so Very yeah. Good. Very good. But yeah, this yeah. is all building for a big exit that I would do in three to five years from now, and at which time I'd either get into private stuff? equity. <laughs> yeah, I'd either get into private equity or and or um, consumer product brands is something that is interesting to me. At that time, I'll also be a major film actor. That's my long-term play yeah. is, is to be an A-list film one, actor. Right? In it's inevitability, yes. You've done comedy too. I've done comedy. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So, so let's go back to that. So you're an actor. Mm -hmm. Still acting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I've done two movies this year so far. One okay. in Rome, one in Texas. Okay. Um, and what was the name? What were the names? The movie in Rome was called Deep Six. It's an action movie. Um, I played a character named, it's a movie about the breakup of an American drug cartel located in Italy. And I played one of the villain characters, lead villain characters uh, named Jack. I was a manic psychopath <laughs> character, which is so much fun to play as an actor. Being a, a pasta. Uh, uh, yeah, to yeah. that, I come a long way. Yeah, yeah. So, so, 
it's it was super fun getting to play that playing um alongside some stars and then i played much smaller film actually a christian film i did in in texas uh middle of this year do you, do you find um keeping that creative outlet open helps you in business it just makes me happier so yes yeah I, i'd say for that reason it does is it more like leisure then it's not necessarily no i just like, it's something I, I take seriously and i work very hard at too yeah, yeah i do i love the craft of acting i love the 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 ability to creatively live somebody else's life it's also helping the legacy right it's part of the legacy yeah in, yeah and over time i want to i will produce my own films because i want to create more positive messages and entertainment yeah that are because that's how that's how the masses get influenced is by entertainment actually mm -hmm. so like film tv that that's what teaches people how to think so i want to make content over time that raises people's consciousness that helps them think differently it's pretty strategic you can always go and say buy my properties buy my properties when you put in i mean some that's subliminal the grand, that's the grand <laughs> well it's not even subliminal that's the grand cardone playbook mm -hmm. i mean that's how he raises money for his properties he has the whatever millions of people that follow him all over social mm -hmm. and that's how mm -hmm. he crowdfunds for yeah. real estate yeah. yeah it's a very very different way than the original one which was a boring business yeah. suits behind desks just small amount of people now it's kind of like open up to the masses and everyone can come and invest through a thousand dollar in my fund through a five hundred thousand dollar in my fund doesn't matter it's for everybody so you go retail basically mm -hmm. you don't mm -hmm. go wholesale right no, but what i appreciate with how you've sort of structured your life and how you're still pursuing your passions is a lot of people that get into building something that you were the same way when you were building BoxyCharm. You're so laser focused that you do nothing else. Yeah. And I think that sometimes there's benefits to that, but I think that for some people that could be very toxic in building their life that way. Like it's not easy for a lot of people to no. just do one thing for 15 Stressful. years. No, of course not. But you're not doing that. That's the thing. No, like no, you're, no. Yeah, you're, no, I'm, I'm much, I'm multi-passionate. I yeah. think a lot of entrepreneurly entrepreneurish people are yeah. like this they they want to do lots of different things it's just interesting for them i'm yeah. a creative and so that's what keeps me happy that keeps, keeps me engaged otherwise i get very bored so i love business and i love creative pursuits so i'll always have both i used to think that i would just be an actor or for a period of time i thought i would just be a businessman but neither of them in and of themselves are enough to keep me fully engaged i'll always need to have both i love that nice okay. So that's good for, I think we covered everything. We, we really did a good job on that one. So where can people find you? Uh, socials, website, all that. Yeah, I would say for people that are investors or looking to invest, they're entrepreneurs, they're looking to save on taxes or things like that. They just want to look at properties. Hot chicks that just want to Or hot chicks. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's stay with the investors first. Hey, yeah. hot chicks that are investors is, is even best. That's yeah. the best of everything. Um, they can just go to my website, sterlingcapital.cc. They go there and you can get access to my deal flow list. Just let me know a little bit of criteria about you. What's your social, ne uh, social media network? We're going to that next. So sterlingcapital.cc and then um, social media at Sterling on Instagram mm -hmm. is the best way. So just my first name. Awesome. S-T-E-R-L-N-G. Okay, amazing. We did amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I did do amazing. You're gonna hash yeah, out a real estate really deal good. after this. <laughs> now listen, this is really impressive. Very, very impressive. Thank you. Um, th uh, thank you so much for coming over, and um, we're gonna sit down and keep talking. I definitely have some questions that I didn't want to put it on air for you. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> sounds good. So, sounds good. That was amazing. Awesome, man. I appreciate you coming. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, thank yeah, you. yeah. Thank you're you welcome.
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 